0: Pastor David continues the series, In It, Not Of It. Well, we are going to Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel responds to a very chaotic moment with the king of Babylon. How he responds to this chaos is a lesson for us to learn. So take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Dear friend, dear friend, I warn you as a temporary resident and foreigner to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against you, your very soul, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your own behavior, and they will give honor to God when He judged the world. Pastor Jacob. Thank you, Pastor Raymond. I appreciate you sharing that with us this morning, that scripture with us this morning to get us started. I do want to say also, I learned this morning that uh, our drummer, who's here drumming for us this morning, he got married last weekend. So that's awesome, Mr. George and Miss Kiosha, Congratulate you guys. Several. That's awesome. Several weeks ago, uh, one of our wonderful uh, leaders in our youth ministry and a young lady that serves in our children's ministries, they got married as well, Mr. Carlos Ramos, Miss Danielle. They are married, so congratulations to you guys. All these people getting married. That's awesome. I hope that when these guys went and got wedding rings that they knew the difference between real and fake. Yeah. How good are you at determining the difference between real and fake? It can be hard to do, right? I I remember one year my dad, he worked for DuPont. And he would travel for DuPont and go to these uh, different areas to help them get plants set up and things like that. And a lot of times when he would come back, he would bring me a gift. I always look forward to that. You know, my poor kids, they don't get that. But I remember when my dad would travel... He would come back and he would bring me a gift. And he came back this time and he brought me, I'll open up what it was. And it was, it was a watch and it it had gold. It was a gold banded watch with a black face. I thought, man, this is awesome. And I put it on my wrist and I look at the name on the watch and it was a Rolex. And I said, What? My dad bought me a Rolex, you yeah? know? I mean, this is in the day of MC Hammer, so I'm walking to school like, can't touch this. Nah, 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 nah. You know what I'm saying? And so, I'm ecstatic, but I learned, I learned that not all Rolexes are real Rolexes. Uh, I found out one of the easiest ways to tell a knockoff A Rolex, the second hand on it, that thing just glides. It's smooth as butter. I mean, it just kind of goes around. Mine was kind of like this. (laughs) You remember that, mom? My mom, she's laughing over there. She knows. That was awesome. You know, this happens all the time. There are fake name brands all over the place. There's fake Nikes. there's, There's fake Louis Vuitton. There's fake Gucci you right. There's fake, there's fake iPhones. We call them Androids. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of, uh, there, there's even reality shows, right? There, there's, there is a reality show where people determine the difference between a real food, like a real meal or a fake, where it's what they call a dessert imposter. There's people that really compete to determine if that is a real sandwich, a real piece of chicken, a real steak, or is it a cake, right? I got a picture of, of something here. You look at that. Could you, if you looked at that, that looks like a BLT, right? And some chips. That's cake. I mean, it's unreal, the difference between what's real and what's fake. Another way to say something is fake is we use the word counterfeit, right? We know what counterfeit is. Counterfeit is a fraudulent imitation of something. It's when someone's trying to play off something as being real. They're trying to get you to believe that it's real, all with the intent to deceive you, to defraud you, right? To mess you up. Our enemy, our spiritual enemy has been doing this ever since day one trying to imitate the kingdom of God on earth. He has been trying to tempt humanity with a false sense of what's valuable and what's important. But the whole time he's just been deceiving and defrauding our world, ultimately destroying it. You know, we started last week, this series, in it, not other. We jumped into the book of Daniel. We said the book of Daniel is a picture for us of faith thriving in a faithless world. It is a picture of what it looks like to trust God through to the end. To put your faith in Him, believing that He has everything in His hands. And we saw that in the book of Daniel, it, uh, the nation of Israel, the whole setting of everything. It takes place. In the land of Babylon, Israel has been taken captive into Babylon. And Babylon, basically what it represents, we found out last week, it is essentially a counterfeit kingdom. And see, Babylon, it was a real physical nation. It's modern day Iraq now. But all throughout scripture, we see Babylon represented as a kingdom opposed to the kingdom of God a kingdom opposed to the gospel of Christ. It started in the very beginning in the book of Genesis when a group of people began to build a tower and it was called the Tower of Babel. And this was, Babel basically, what it means is confusion. And that's what the enemy's kingdom is all about. He is the author of confusion. And so it starts there and we see it represented in, in all throughout scripture in and, 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 and Babylon. And we see it all to, through to the ending in Revelation when John is having his vision from Jesus. And Jesus talks to him about what's going on. And he describes Babylon, which is essentially this kingdom opposed to Christ. And he calls Babylon a prostitute. But the church is called, what? The bride of Christ. You see the difference. The bride of Christ is who Jesus came to serve and then to do good through for the world around us. To see lives changed. The prostitute is who the enemy uses to seduce. with The ultimate desire to destroy the world around him. So Daniel found himself surrounded literally in Babylon, but by the spirit of Babylon as well. It started with him, we said, in his teenage years. Most historians believe that likely he was, him and Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were anywhere between 14 and 17 years old when they were taken into the school of Babylon, because that's how old the people were who started in that school. But it goes all the way through till he's basically in his, Somewhere around, most believe his 80s, later in his life. And Daniel shows us how to navigate the spirit of Babylon through the power of the spirit of God. See, the the spirit of God allows us, as Paul says, not to conform to the world, but to be transformed by God. We, at the end of our summer reading series, a couple of series back, we talked about how there's a few different ways we can respond to the world while we live in the world. And one of those ways we said it's assimilation. This is where we gradually begin to look like the world around us. We begin to, uh, our values be, begin to look like their values. We begin to kind of conform to the world and, and there's not a lot different about us. But if you remember from last week, we we saw where, in Daniel chapter one, and we I told you there's going to be things we see through Daniel chapter six. There's things they might comply with, but they never allow themselves to conform because their convictions put things in their life that says, this is a conviction from the word of God and the spirit of God that says, this is a line I'm not going to cross. Because if I cross this line, I'm blending into the world. I'm becoming like the world. I'm conforming to the world, but I'm not going to cross that. And if I'm going to make a difference for the kingdom of God, there's got to be something different about me, so there's not there's no assimilation that's taking place. Another way we could respond is we could respond through separation, where we take the scripture that says. Come out from among them and separate yourselves. We take that literal and we say, I can't be around anything that is associated with the world. I've got to everything I do. I've got to be surrounded by other believers and other Christians and and other followers of Christ. But when we look at the context of that passage of scripture that says that to come out from among them, what he's literally, what what he's really meaning is saying to come out from the power of that system. Don't put yourself in the middle of it, but instead stand out within it and be different. So that takes us to the third way we can respond. It's not assimilation. It's not separation. It's transformation. That we are called to be a part of the transforming power of God, wherever he has placed us and called us to live. If you remember last week, I told you, if you were here, if you listened or watched, Jeremiah was a prophet who was a contemporary during the time of Daniel and and Israel when they were taken into exile. And when Jeremiah was prophesying about this exile taking place. He began to speak some things. We looked at one last week. I want us to see another prophecy that he told them. Jeremiah, we see it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four to seven. Watch what he tells them to do. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies. And I love that the Lord of heaven's armies. It's just a reminder to us. You might not see his army around you right now, but he's got one. All right. He's reigning, he's in control, he's over it all, we don't have to, so he says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, the God of Israel. He says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem, this is your call, build homes and plan to stay, to which all of them were going, yippee, right? I mean, that's what... No, they weren't. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, those gardens produce, marry, have children, then five spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. So that means they must be staying a while. Multiply, don't dwindle away. In other words, you still have a purpose. There's still a call on this land. And then he says, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city. Look at what he said, where I sent you. Again, we talked about this last week. That might mess up some of our theology, right? God would never send us to Babylon. He might. We said last week, he might not call you out, uh, deliver you from, and he might call you to it. For a purpose. So he says, work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. And then he said, pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. Its goodness will determine your goodness. Right? So, And we said last week too, one of his other prophecies was that the basket of good figs was taken to Babylon. The basket of bad figs was left in Judah. So that means the faithful were sent to exile. But he called them there for a purpose. And if you remember too, Daniel, we said that Daniel and the boys were put to serve under a eunuch, which means that they were likely themselves made eunuchs. So if Daniel and the boys were made eunuchs, that means they couldn't go through with the whole thing of being married and multiply. Because as a eunuch, that was taken away from them. But it tells us, as we've said several times over the last couple of months in the series that we've done, not everybody has the same call. Not everybody has been given the same role. But we all serve a role in working for and praying for the peace and the prosperity of wherever God has called us to be in this life. And you heard the words from Peter that Pastor Raymond read in our opening passage this morning. Written to a group of followers who had been scattered trying to live their faith in a faithless world. Surrounded by a faithless society with people wanting to kill Christians. What did he tell them? He told them to he called them foreigners and temporary residents, right? That's not your home. But he essentially told them the same thing that Jeremiah told those in exile to work for peace and prosperity of the city. In verse 12, or he told them keep away from the world. He says, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors so that what they see in you is God. The reason you live uh, in the way that you live amongst them is to work for and pray for the peace and prosperity of the place that God has called you to be. And that, that word peace is the word shalom. And it doesn't, it's not to be used in a flippant way like we often hold up two finger peace. What's up? you know, it's not what it means. It means that you work for the well-being, for the overall good of the place that you have been put and where God has called you to be. So there's no separation that's taking place and there's no blending in that's taking place. It is a call to go within and to stand out within. Working towards the fruitfulness of it. That's the call of the church. That's what the church is to be. The church is to be the body of Christ who goes out in the world, not of the world, in the world, to love the city, to bless the city. To work in the city, to pray for the city, all for the overall well being of the city. That's why we end every service the way we end it with me saying those that that one phrase. You might not pay attention to it because you're thinking about out the door. But I say it every week. Go be catalyst for transformation. That's why. Because that's your call. As a part, if you're a follower of Christ and you are a part of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, that is our call to go and work in and pray for. We gather here as a small part of God's community to be encouraged, to be equipped, to pray together, to worship together, to go out, to work in and pray for our Babylon. So we go into chapter two. As we go into chapter two, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that really messes him up. You ever had a dream that really disturbed you? Well Nebuchadnezzar calls in this group of magicians and sorcerers and interpreters and astrologers, and he calls them in, they're called his wise men. and he tells them, "I've had a dream, and I need you to interpret it." Now this wasn't unusual. That's why these guys, that's part of why these guys existed. That's part of the reason they were there. Kings often had this group of people that served with them that they would call in whenever they had a dream because they believed that when they had a dream, that this was a message from the gods to them. So he calls them in. Now, what was unusual was that Nebuchadnezzar told him, I'm not going to tell you my dream, I want you to tell me what I dreamed. And then I want you to interpret what I dreamed. That was unusual. So that put these guys on edge. And they began to let him know, King, nobody can do that. No man can do that. Now, I, we don't know why Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do it this way. Perhaps he knew what the dream was. And so he didn't want it to be proclaimed to everyone else. Perhaps because he knew he didn't want them manipulating it and trying to get them to think something else. We don't know what it was. But they begin to tell him, this this isn't possible. And listen to their words. It's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. The astrologers replied to the king. No one on earth can tell the king his dream. And no king, however great and powerful. This is a bold astrologer, right? Has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. And listen, no one except the gods can tell you your dream. And the gods don't live here amongst the people. That was their theology. They didn't believe the gods lived among the people. A counterfeit religion, a counterfeit faith will let you down when you need it the most. Human reasoning, apart from the power of God, the spirit of God, the word of God, it is not helpful. So the king doesn't like this. And he orders all of the wise men killed. The whole order, the whole group of them. He orders them killed. Let's get rid of the wise men. This is what the spirit of Babylon often does. The spirit of Babylon often responds in anger. In a crazy anger. And we have to be careful as followers of Christ not to allow ourselves to have a counterfeit righteous anger to get angry to things and call it righteous anger when really it's not. We have to be on guard against that. But the king orders this. And if you remember from the end of chapter one, Daniel and his boys, they were put into that order of the wise men. They were put into that group of people because Daniel had already interpreted something for the king. So that means now Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah—they are part of this group that has been told to kill. So you can imagine the chaos that's happening around them at this point, where all of these group, all of these men in this group, are running around crazy in this chaos because of what's about to happen. But Daniel remembers God has given him an ability. God has given him a gift. And God had put Daniel there for a reason. And in a bold move, Daniel goes to the king and he asks the king for more time. It was bold because the king had accused the other wise men of stalling for time. But Daniel goes to him not to magnify the problem, but he goes to him with a hope to find a solution. And he says, King, give me more time so 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 that I can get the interpretation of your dream. See, it's possible that Daniel had the words of the prophet Jeremiah resonating in his heart to work for the peace and the prosperity of the kingdom. God, you've given me this gift for a reason. It's not to benefit my own self. It is to use, to leverage for others and to bring you glory. So Daniel stepped into the chaos. And there's possible, possibly times that in your life before right now, or at some point in the future, there's going to be a lot of chaos. There might be chaos in your world right now. And you could be tempted to think like some of those when they were taken into exile would think that God's abandoned them. He's left them. He sent them there to drown. But that's not the case. God has placed you in that for a reason. He has gifted you and purposed you to take what's in you and leverage it for others and to bring glory to God. You may be the peace that someone needs around you. You may be the peace that someone needs in your place of employment. You may be the peace that someone in your family in the the middle of chaos needs. You may be the peace that someone in your group of friends and their chaos needs. You may be the peace that someone in your neighborhood, someone in your community, someone in whatever community organization you're involved in, someone in your school, someone on your kids ball team, you may be the peace that needs to step into the chaos that God has called there. And so Daniel steps in and see Daniel had a different theology. Well, these guys said the gods didn't live amongst the people, Daniel said, hmm, I beg to differ. In fact, I talk to God every day. So Daniel hears this word and he goes back to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We see it in chapter two and he tells them, boys, we got to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray for God to begin to speak and show us this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. So that we can interpret it for the king, and when they get the when they get the dream, they begin to worship. They begin to praise God. See, basically, what Daniel did was he recentered his focus. He took his focus off this counterfeit authority, and he put his focus on the one who was really in control. And he, it's, it's possible. That he even remembered as well the words of the prophet Isaiah that said, you'll keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you, God, you will keep in perfect peace. And so Daniel and and his three friends were saying, we need the peace of God. There's a lot of chaos. We need to fix our focus on God right now. And so, Daniel, who doesn't have a title to represent authority, he is living the teaching of Jesus long before Jesus ever came and taught it. But I believe and know it's because he had a relationship with the Father that he knew how to live this. But he knew that to be great in the kingdom, you didn't have to have a title. To be great in the kingdom, all you had to do was serve. And so, Daniel served. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. It's how Daniel made it through Babylon. And it's how we make it through our Babylon every day. We pray and we worship God. We recenter our focus on him, not on the chaos around us. The more you pray, the more you worship, the more you open the door, for God and his spirit and his power to work through you and the world around you. The more we as a church pray together, the more we as a church worship together, the more we open the door for God's spirit to work through his church supernaturally and powerfully. So Daniel returns to the king. Daniel chapter two, look at what he says, verse 26. So Daniel went in, see Arioch. This is the leader at the time of the wise men whom the king had ordered to execute all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king. I will tell him the meaning of his dream. I I would have loved to see Arioch's face at this time. So Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream." So I wonder, you know, when Nebuchadnezzar sees, it's Daniel again. I wonder what he's thinking. What's going through his mind? So the king said to Daniel, who's also known as Belteshazzar, that was the name that they had changed Daniel's name to. He said, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. In other words, those guys weren't far off, king. They were right. No man can do what you have asked them to do. No man can do it. And listen to his next phrase. The hate. But there is a God in heaven. how would that change your thought process in life? If you truly believed there is a God in heaven. I can't take care of what's happening around me right now. You can't take care of what's happening around us right now, but there is a God in heaven. I can't understand all that's happening around me right now. You don't understand all that's happening around us right now, but there's a God in heaven. And, 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 and Daniel's like, and look, they say the gods don't live amongst the people. And, and maybe you don't see God living amongst us, but we have the opportunity to live in relationship with that God in heaven. And, and I can imagine he's sitting there thinking, and I just got done spending some time with him. He said, this God in heaven reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. In other words, what Daniel is saying is, King, not only did God speak to me while I was seeking him to give me the dream that you have asked us to give and to interpret, King, God spoke to you. It wasn't one of the gods. It was the God. The one true God in heaven has spoke to you, King, and he has revealed to you what is going to happen in the future. And now I'm going to tell you the dream and the vision that you saw as you lay in your bed. So Daniel tells him his dream. And, and the dream is basically he has a dream of a statue. The head of that statue is made of gold. And Daniel tells him, he says, King, that's you. That's your kingdom. That's that is Babylon. You reign and you rule at this at this point in the kingdom as of with gold but after the head came a body of chest and arms made of silver then there was a belly and thighs made of bronze and then the lower part was made of iron and clay each section a different kingdom that would come in and take the reign from the other kingdom. And we'll talk more about that in, when we get to Daniel chapter 7 because in Daniel's dream in chapter 7 it relates a lot to this dream. So we'll talk more about that when we get to there. So but he has this dream of the statue. That's the focal point of his dream, but the most important part of the dream wasn't the statue itself, it's what happened to the statue. So let's jump down to verse 34 of Daniel chapter two. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. And it struck the feet of iron and clay and it smashed them to bits. And the whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. And then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. And then jump down to verse 44. He says, during the reign of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness and it will stand forever. That's the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true and its meaning is certain. Remember I mentioned, or, or, or I didn't mention this, but remember I mentioned the, the verse from Isaiah, the, the passage where he said that you will keep in perfect peace. I didn't mention that. You'll keep in perfect peace those who trust in you. If Daniel was truly remembering that promise from Isaiah, then the rest of that message that Isaiah gave became really helpful in interpreting the dream. Because watch the rest of that phrase. We see it in, in Isaiah chapter 26. Verses four and five, he says, trust in the Lord always for the Lord. God is the eternal what? Rock. Rock. He humbles the proud. He brings down the arrogant city. He brings it down to what? Dust. And this is exactly what happens in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. A statue being brought down to dust of earthly kingdoms by a rock. And when Daniel gives him this interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar is in awe yet again. And he falls prostrate. And he bows down. And he begins to, to declare Daniel's God. Not his God. Daniel's God. The God of all gods. The king of all kings. It's a foreshadowing of what will truly happen to the spirit of Babylon. Babylon that Paul prophesies about in his letter to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter two, when he says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Daniel or Nebuchadnezzar falls to the ground and he's, and he's, in, he's in admiration of God. He's revering God, but he's not responding to God yet. But Daniel shows us that God's power can be more than admired. It can be experienced. And he shows us that we can serve God in Babylon. And our faith is meant to be public in a faithless world around us. So the chapter concludes with Daniel being appointed now the chief over all the wise men in Babylon. And at his request, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're put in charge over different provinces in Babylon. But I want us to see something, how awesome this is. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but in Daniel chapter 9, an angel comes to Daniel. An angel by the name of Gabriel. And he begins to have a conversation with Daniel. And he begins to tell him that that Daniel, there's going to come an anointed one and a Messiah. Essentially, he's going to establish a kingdom, a new kingdom. One that'll never end. So the angel Gabriel tells Daniel about the anointed one and a Messiah. And then several hundred years later, The angel Gabriel appears to Mary and he tells her, Mary, you're about to give birth to one who will take the throne of God, will take the throne of Israel, and he will set up the kingdom of God, a kingdom that will never end And Jesus was born. And we see where angels appear to shepherds. And they speak to these shepherds and they tell them that the anointed one, the Messiah, has been born. But in Matthew's gospel, he tells us about this group. We say it's three of them. But there's nothing in Matthew's gospel that tells us there's three of them. There's three gifts that they bring, but it could have been a whole multitude. In fact, many believe it was of magi or wise men. Astrologers, interpreters, seers, And Matthew tells us they came from the east. Who was in the east? Babylon. Who would have been put in charge over this group of wise men and magi while in Babylon? Daniel. Who likely heard the words of the prophecies that Daniel, God, from this angel and from God while he was serving as the leader over these wise men and these magi while in Babylon. The wise men. And so hundreds of years later, they follow a star because they believe that now the prophecy that had been told is coming true. An anointed one, a messiah, one whose kingdom will never end has been born. And so they travel a long way to see the one that's been born. I don't think it's a long long shot to assume that the influence of Daniel continued from generation to generation and culminated when these magi who were astrologers followed a star To Bethlehem. You don't know how God can use you now and generations to come. God has put you where he's put you for a reason. And Jesus Christ is, as the psalmist said, the stone that the builders rejected. And that stone has become the cornerstone. Isaiah said, he's the stone that makes people stumble. He's the rock that makes them fall. He was the stone not made by human hands because he was born of a what? Virgin. There was no man that had anything to do with his birth. Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's dream said the rock started small, but it got big, became the size of a mountain. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says the kingdom of God starts small like a seed, but eventually it grows into the largest tree where birds from all over can come and nest. You could take the followers of Christ when Jesus ascended and put them in a small upper room. But today, the name of Jesus Christ and the followers of Christ spread as one of the largest movements across the earth. Of all the minerals listed in that statue, the rock was the least value. Jesus was born into poverty. He never assembled an army on this earth. He never sought a throne, but he defied death and he sits on the throne on the right hand of God to this day. When Jesus came to this earth, he established a new kingdom. And this is the kingdom. He is the cornerstone that we can build our life upon. And when Jesus was teaching about how you build your life, he taught this parable and he said, You can be like a wise man or you can be like a fool. But the wise man builds upon what? The rock we can let God tear down what needs to be torn down in our life to build us back up on him as our foundation or we can keep living how we want and eventually be crushed under the power of God the choice is up to us but I pray today that we choose to not be just like Nebuchadnezzar in this moment and admire God, admire what God does, admire his work, admire the beauty of things, but never step into his goodness. Don't just be an admirer today. Step into the goodness of God. He is the king of all kings. He is the God, the one true God, the only God. Worship him today. And he wants to live with you in this life. Stand with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we give this moment to you. Spirit, I ask that you would begin to move in the hearts of people in this place today. And there may be some in this room that have basically just been admirers of you. They admire what you've done in maybe their parents' life, their grandparents' life. They admire the testimonies that they hear of your work in people's lives. They've never stepped into the goodness, into your goodness. They've never truly trusted you with their life the way we see Daniel trust you with his, the way that we see many others trust you with their life. As a father today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would just begin to move in this place, and today that there would be pe- there will be people that step out from being just admirers and step into your goodness today. As we close this morning in a time of worship, for you to just reflect, worship God. I just encourage you, if you are here today and you never truly embraced God as your Savior, as your Lord, I encourage you today to do that and make it personal. Seek Him. Cry out to Him. Give him your life. Give him your heart. Tell him you want to change. You want to begin to follow him. You want to begin to know him. You want to begin to serve him. Make it your words. Make it personal. Thank him for, thank Jesus for dying and giving his life on a cross for you. Express a faith, believing that he reigns today as God, as king. And when you do, tell somebody and make it public. Let's just close today spending time worshiping, reflecting on the goodness of God and praising the one who is the true God and who reigns as King of Kings.